Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 19, Roku Rota Mine. The 79th completed their first tower patrol and came under fire from a capable secessionist militia. Despite their superior numbers, the Mudders stood their ground, and in the aftermath, Solomon Kwai recovered a hollow projector showing the liberated sniper from Camp Vibus torturing an Imperial prisoner. Who is that sniper? And was she responsible for the bodies outside the wire? How dangerous will these tower missions get? And how will the lieutenant react when he learns it was one of his clone brothers who led the assault on their position? Let's find out. Two weeks had passed since that first tower patrol, and it was exactly one month out from the tournament in Flume Bay. I was still in the ring daily, getting worked. Ribs were so bruised it was hard to breathe sometimes. But I had yet to get the axe from the skip, so I kept going. Targon's face was healing nicely. A jagged scar ran all the way along her cheek up to her eye. She was less than pleased, but thanked me for my quick work in the field. You look like shit, Kwai. You fucked up my face, asshole. She still came with us on that next patrol. No contact. Well, nothing serious. Just another few prospectors who were taken in for processing in Flaudine. They put up a fight. No one wanted to be shipped off to a military post as a suspect. But most of the time these people would tell us what they were doing, the stories fell flat. There were no veins of Kenyan in this part of Seston Four. By now, we'd learned where the real good places to dig were. From the folks who'd been running freelance mines and sifters for years. And it was difficult not to suspect something was up when these freelancing prospector stories all read the same. Like from a script. Murray had told us more than a few tales off the net of these guys just being marks. Spies used by the Seshers to gather intel. In more than one case, them being part of the guerrilla forces that would attack our positions in an effort to acquire tower components. So as to better improve their cloaks. We'd just flown in from a three-day exercise. Our lardies were packed tight. We were all damp from swamp water and stunk like a brewer's petri dish. Tolan's second on the rocket, the one who essentially saved our asses when we came under fire during tower duty a few weeks ago. She was a Keshian named Yusabi. 
Found it, it's not just their eyesight that's better than ours, but also their sense of smell. The look on her face every time we get on board. Can someone let me take a spot by the window, please? Why don't you light a stick, Savvy? That'll take the edge off. Nothing could take the edge off. We came in on the pad, and when the doors popped open wide, the skip was there waiting. Flanked by her admin officers. One of them we hadn't seen before. A tall, lean, dark-skinned human. A virtual clone of Kyra, minus the blue skin, of course. And they were holding a service crate. That was new. The LT barked orders before most of us were even off the lardy. Full up, 79. We shuffled into our awkward, oversized squads. The sergeant standing to the side of the front rank. Attention! Our feet slammed rhythmically. I still love that sound. The way you can coordinate all those boots. 79th platoon. While you were gone, we had a supply transport come in from Imperial Command. With it was Sergeant Melnow, who will be taking command of 3rd Squad. The LT looked over and gave him a nod. The sergeant did the same. Would be keen to see how this all worked out. There was also a delivery from the Commodore himself. Medals and new rank insignia. This was our medal and promotion ceremony. A far cry from the one back at Vibus, with that blowhard from the crossfire. The guy the new CNC shot point blank. There were no dignitaries either, no cheering crowds. But I remember this one feeling the most appropriate. This was the way it was always meant to be. Just us, getting recognized by our peers who were out there chewing dirt with us. Not a bunch of civvy blowhards vying for favor. The skip went through the ranks, talking to the mutters who weren't even up for anything, dropping tidbits she lifted from their personnel files. I understand you grew up in the mining colonies of the Stegert Belt. Must have been interesting, spending most of your youth inside hollowed out asteroids. She gave out medals, shook hands, saluted, patted shoulders, made jokes with the few of us she knew from Terracossi training. She was a real trench commander, wanted us to know she'd have no problem walking the line if it came to that. It was nice because we knew it wasn't an act. Before she got to fourth squad, she leaned into the LT's ear and whispered something to him. He nodded as his eyebrows popped up. Then she went back to it, stopping at Mondi before getting to me. When she did get in front of me, she smiled while raising her voice, speaking to the whole platoon. I'm sure you're all aware of Corporal Kwai's performance during the cowardly assault on Camp Vibus last winter, but I'm afraid Imperial Command has refused to send us his order of Palpatine Medal. I didn't know if she was expecting a reaction from that, but none of us were going to talk. The LT hadn't dismissed us. The 79th didn't break rank, unless we had permission. Although her, here comes the surprise delivery, was pretty lacking. Because Commodore Meldine wishes to present it personally as part of the opening ceremonies of the Terracossi tournament in Floon Bay next month. She motioned for us to applaud, but 
No one budged until the LT started clapping. Then we all did. Talk about awkward. They'd be ripping into me for this one for sure. Dismissed. Eltherium leaned over while grabbing his kit. You sure you're still gonna be allowed to bunk with peasants like us? Maybe they're prepping you a room up in orbit. You should ask. Yeah, just to be sure. Tolan getting in on it too. Of course. He hadn't even left the square. Oh, and quiet a moment? The skip calling me over? Well, that was weird. I got close and she leaned in. No need for you in the Terracossi ring, Corporal. You tried, but you're off the roster. Sorry. A lot of ups and downs coming at me here. I opened the door to the barracks and everyone was smacking the back of my head as I made for my locker. Began cleaning my gear. Gave it a rough once over, then hit the showers. Relatively few bugs latched on, which was nice. Gotta hand it to our engineers. They'd recently installed a shredding device into the water waste piping. It kept the critters and suckers from clogging the drains. That's how many of these things we were pulling off. I scrubbed myself down and then stood under the water for a bit, thinking. Over the past few weeks, more and more I'd find myself thinking about home. The farm. The comfort of just being able to sleep in. Get soft. I wanted to be soft again. Comforted. Hurry up! Why? Yep, that was the pace. Threw my shit in the shower bag and then headed for the bunk. Got dressed and detailed my gear. Gave it a fresh coat of repellent and proofer. Then took my IRDs and tossed them into a bowl of liquid sanitizer. Those things needed it. You were only issued one set, and there was no way I could afford an extra one. The IRDs were the infrared dampening suit. We've talked about how awful they were. You wore it the entire time you were in hut country. Day after day in the heat, the humidity, rubbing your skin raw. Not a pleasant smelling garment. So you did what you could to make it passable. Had everything nice and chrome before I passed out. Murray shook me awake a few hours later. Get up. We got practice. He was headed off to the ring for Terracossi, but I informed him in my groggy state I wasn't on the team anymore. That the skip cut me right after we were dismissed. I think he mumbled a snarky reply, but I didn't care. I could deal with mockery provided it came with an extra three hours of sleep. When I did wake up, it was along with the rest of the platoon. Usually, the first day from a flyout was slow. You wouldn't be back on duty for a minimum of 12 hours, and even then, the detail was light labor. Nothing strenuous, and a short shift gets you acclimatized to standard day-to-day living, decompress. Mondi and I almost always got a shift with the engineers, who would throw us in the armory to fix weapons. I liked the work, but it was tedious and aggravating to have so many troopers taking such terrible care of their gear. Your weapon 
needs to be maintained. You've got to strip it and clean it whenever you can. There were always stories flying around about mutters in the bush getting held down, wounded, and sometimes killed when their E10 or E11 jams. Or even worse, overloaded the power cell and totally fried itself. The side benefit was I could spend more time working on my E11S, my sniper rifle, rejigging it. And when I had a free moment, I started refurbishing that DC-15 Sergeant Kyra gave me. That first day back, I had a package waiting for me from Sergeant Dalbiki, the toilet gunsmith from Camp Vibus. She survived the attack and was now working at the new central depot in Flaudine. Flaudine was now our main logistics center for operations in the Vista Valley. And anything west of Camp Vibus, which meant all the areas with active combat zones. They had steady traffic back and forth from orbit delivering supply. All the Kenyan in the area would pass through too, head straight into orbit. There was also refugee processing. Not a lot compared to what was happening on the eastern half of the continent, but Flaudine's population had nearly tripled in just a few months. I opened the package and inside was a new scope along with some very high-end plasma routers. Why? It was good to hear from you. I was hoping they would let you keep working in the armory. You have a knack for it. I managed to call in some favors to get these routers for you. Should add range and penetration to that E-11S you're always working on. And this scope was pulled from a rifle belonging to the Scout Corps. I realigned its internals myself. Consider it a gift for all you did back at Vibus. If you're ever in Flodin, stop by. Or tip a bottle. Sergeant Dalbiki. I put the package aside and then got to work on the backlog of busted E-10s. Only put in a few hours before we were called off the chow. Took the gift box with me and was talking with Mondi on our way over when Murray came up. Bit of a limp. His face was light though. What's with the leg, Hopalong? Ugh, tangled with Husto in the ring today. Really? Pretty's legit man though. No, not a real, real one. Well. Maybe. I don't know enough about the Mandalorians to say, but he hits like one, hence the limp. Murray explained how our freshly minted medical sergeant slid past his punches, even evaded a grappling attempt, and faded back to deliver a lightning-quick snapping kick that landed square on Murray's thigh. Hit with such impact, the entire outside of his legs seized up which was similar to what I'd seen him do against Hefspar weeks earlier when the fight training started. That guy is quick. The only one who's given him a real challenge is that one Miri Allen from the Engineers and Hefspar, but figured that'd be obvious. So if you just got beat, why are you so happy? Cause I made the cut, I'm headed to the tournament. That was good news. I was wondering how awkward the flight to Flume Bay would be, given I'd be the only one there from the hotel who wasn't going as part of the fight team. Having Murray along for the ride would be nice. Now that I'm officially part of the team, no more duties outside of training. What about patrols? Flyouts and shit? 
That's the shitty thing. I gotta stick with you assholes for flyouts. Apparently the LT was adamant with the skip that I needed to move with the platoon. Doesn't want anyone else on the horn outside of me. We joked that it was because he was so good at his job, no one could replace him. He brushed us off, but you could tell he was still riding high about all the attention he'd be getting at the big tournament in Flume Bay. Didn't see Murray much for the rest of the week. The ring was kind of its own thing now. The fighters still slept in their bunks, but they didn't have any other duties on post. Just training. Day-to-day work on technique, holds, specific strikes. The captain was taking things seriously. She really wanted to win that thing. I didn't mind. If we did win, we'd all get a pretty hefty dump of credits afterwards. Things were quiet near the hotel for a few days. No real traffic at all. The other platoons were on flyout, one after the other. While they were gone, we walked the line. Even ran some combat drills with the newly formed third squad and their sergeant. Sergeant Mel now took over for Tobla and was a real hard ass. But not in the way Sergeant Kyra was. He wasn't softer, just less dangerous, aggressive. Still, he was firm in everything he said, no budge. Never heard him yell either, very similar to the LT. He was a vet of the Republic Navy, a Marine, participated in the earliest campaigns of the Clone Wars. Targon said he was on one of the belt crews, specialists in storming asteroid mining operations, then got looped in with the reinforcements during the Umbaran campaigns. And everyone knew about those. Some of the bloodiest battles of the entire war basically turned into a war of attrition, almost broke the Republic's back. But now he was here. No doubt he and the LT had some conversations no one else was privy to. Squad 3 was a mishmash. A third of them were fresh gray, pure FNGs out of basic. But there were also some transfers from other units in the 934. A lot of that happened right after Domju, shifting numbers to fill holes. But the units were pretty short up now. We were getting solid again, especially the scouts back up to eight. Along with the drills and exercises, I went out past the wire twice. Didn't see anything hostile. Well, no seshers. There was a parlay of Wendehu that flew overhead. A group of them is called a parlay, by the way. And this one had at least 30, up high too. But one of them swooped low. Its posture far different than the ones that attacked when we were at the fire point. It was graceful, elegant, legitimately beautiful in its menace. Massive wingspan would have no trouble bringing down a lardy. And that was the most exciting thing I saw. Two days later, the duty roster flipped over. The 79th was heading out again. We were running aid and weapons out to one of the mining villages near the Sanjiati River. 
It was along the eastern fringes of the Green Death, just at the edge of the foothills that ran up to the Toblin Range. There used to be a lot of mining activity in those parts, but most of the prospectors from that way had fallen back to Flaudine for safety. The few who remained were usually armed to the teeth. Enemy fighters, 11 o'clock! Borderline militias. They usually didn't like us much either, but the general sentiment was that the Seshers were worse. A twisted shadow of the slavers and mercs who ran the show during the Republic era. There were also stories flying around that this whole insurgency was being funded by the big city tycoons at Halfagen Bay. And those low-key small-timers hated the city folk from the bay. The Empire took advantage of the situation and ensured these guys were well supplied. Loads of guns and surplus ammo, as well as food and medical aid. See, they were doing the Empire a service, digging up the Kenyan that we needed and protecting it for us until we'd send armed ships to pick it up. So giving them the tools to defend themselves was the cheapest option. These guys would fight to the bone. They held ground and were merciless to any seshers they caught. The Commodore had to start coughing up bounties on any of the seshers they did capture, just to ensure they were still alive when we got there. It was paying off. A lot of big pockets of insurgent activity were getting eliminated. Our platoon was going to fly out with a fresh drop of food and ammo, snag the Kenyan, and when the Lardies moved out, we'd head off on four days of tower duty. Keep that sensor web in place so the pricks stayed on their heels. We reported to the deck as the sun was coming up. Engineers and loading droids were stacking crates into the back of the Lardy. The platoon was milling about. The more experienced among our ranks hammering down on the newest, while the sergeants talked among themselves. Hey, what's up with your rifle? That's not a regulation scope. Quenda, my number two. No, but that's what happens when you work in the armory. Suddenly find new toys. I explained how the gunsmith from back at Vibus sent them to me. Embellished the story a bit, saying I saved her life, charging into enemy fire during the raid and all that. Fuck off, Kwai. We both know that that's not what happened. I laughed as we got on board. Lighting up a stick and preparing for another few days of being chow for a bunch of critters in the bush. Things felt routine, like I was used to the bathwater at this point. Flight was crowded. Four squads on three lardies plus medical aid, and a good haul of refurbished E-10s and clips. Saw a crate of rocket launchers, too. Really were doling out some firepower to these guys. Came out of mock, then slowed down, began to descend and made for approach. Looked like a freshly cleared patch of jungle, torched. Hold on, hands. We're not touching down just yet. The pilot pulled back on the stick, and we began ascending circled the outpost. That was a bit out of the ordinary. Could have been something wrong with where we were meant to put down, or maybe something wasn't quite right with the back and forth on the comms. Took a look down at the mine site through the vents. 
small outpost in a pocket valley. Hills leading up on the east, north, and west. A small brook coming down from the northeast hills running through the center of town. Mine shaft carved into the side of a small ravine just to the west of center. Hover lifts and a few heavy duty speeders around. Improvised roads, placed timbers to hold back the mud. A few prefabs in a central storehouse. Some beaten pathways to and fro. Pumping and purification stations, water storage. Vegetation was cut back around 100 meters from the village proper, then steady woodland and overgrowth to the Sangiotti River. This was a larger but still typical backwoods mining settlement. The spot looked to be made for two, 300 people. It seemed like they'd been there a while too based on the level of wear and how beaten down the paths and roads were. Pretty dead though, no kids either. Most of the spots we visited had a few packs of runs just bombing around. Maybe these folks had sense to send their families someplace safe. Everyone in the lorry was crammed around the open slots looking down. Had time for a good look. Then we came down to land. Right near that burnt patch of grass. Regular landing. Soft. The drops were getting textbook. Everyone hustled off and dropped our packs. The sergeants ordered us to form up for inspection, got into squads, and then they started filing through the ranks, making sure we were up to standard. Gentala was just finishing tearing into one of our FNGs when she turned and saw a couple of land speeders coming in from near the village. Old model Seraphs, the miner's choice. Had trailers on grav lifts with plenty of Kenyan on board too. Come on, get that cargo off the ship. Stack it proper. Buy the book. Let's go. Everyone's set to work, and I saw the sergeants head over to the LT, probably giving them orders to keep us in line. Didn't want us starting problems with the folks who weren't even official allies. Caused a lot of headaches and paperwork. They were still talking when the speeders pulled in. A tall, Miri Allen woman got off. Dark green, almost blue skin. Lines of white tattooed markings running down her cheeks, packing an E-10. She was accompanied by an unarmed Twi'lek male. Orange skin, medium height, slender build. I took a look over the rest of the speeder crews and workers. No humans, mostly Twi'lek with a few Miri Allen. That was it. Welcome, Lieutenant. I'm Itzma Rota, the head of this operation. The Miri Allen woman was speaking, then motioned to her Twi'lek companion. And this is Fargus Tato, my second-in-command. Hold on a moment. The LT held up his hand and spoke into his communicator. Sergeant Shea, you permission to return to the hotel and get the engine looked at. Keep the speed below Mark II. I don't want you burning out on me. Dismissed. Aye, The Lardy picked up and began heading back to the hotel. If there were any engine problems, that usually meant the whole cabin would stink like exhaust. Felt bad for anyone who came in on it. Monty and I were mingling with the rest of the scouts. We always got a bit of flex to stick together on our own until the LT would come by and drop off orders. Monty had just handed me a stick when Sergeant Kyra came up beside me. Eyes on me, scouts. Take a good look. He leaned his head in close and then continued with a hushed tone. If you were going to attack this position, set up a hide, where would you target? 
Where would you go to ground? Blith responded. She was one of the new scouts that came in on resupply, a human rifleman in the 22nd Company. Most of her unit was lost at Domju. An okay shot, executed maneuvers well, and was good to have in the mix. Well, if we got onto the roof of that warehouse over there, it would make a great... Keep your voice down, Private. A bit too eager to please, though. Discuss amongst yourselves and prime your rifles. Understood? I looked at Mondi, and she mouthed the word, what, to me. Didn't know what that was all about, but we did as asked. Puenda spotted a cluster of trees on a rocky overhang. You'd be out in the open, but the field of view up there was incredible. The crews from the speeders were hauling the storage barrels of Kenyon over, and out of habit, we reached for the weapons crates to load them up onto the trailers. Kept this whole exchange as quick as possible. Hold on, troopers. Need to give these a once-over. LT's orders. Just make sure everything is accounted for. Gentala popped open the crates, one after another, and was going over everything, reaching in deep like she was looking for something specific. When she was done with a crate, we'd move them out. She even waved over some of the locals to move the crates when she was done. Come on, gents. You want to be bagging more Sesha scum? You'll need these. While that was going on, the LT was inspecting the Kenyan barrels with the Miri Allen woman who ran the place. You won't mind if we inspect your storage facility, will you? The Miri Allen woman laughed and asked if that was necessary. That's never happened before. Is there a problem with the product we've been supplying, Lieutenant? No, not at all. But there's been some changes to protocol, and given the scale of this munitions request, commanders asked I ensure your storage facility is adequate in terms of temperature and humidity regulations. That was bullshit. The reason the Empire relied on Blastec gear so much was because of how durable and versatile it was. Did it have the best penetration, range, accuracy compared to other blaster rifles? No, but you could leave it in a swamp for two months, pull it out of the water, and there was a good chance it would still shoot. This was probably just a request from someone beyond my pay grade. These prospectors weren't 100% in bed with us yet. Probably still tripped a few security concerns, and the LT was just dotting the I's with this one. I suppose that shouldn't be a problem. Very well. If you'll just follow me. The Twilik fella to her side was eyeballing the LT hard, back and forth between him and his boss. This guy was jumpy, had that wide-eyed stare just looking through people. These guys must have had a few dances. The LT was moving over to the speeders, which had just started making their way back into town. We were moving slow, just walking pace, not getting too far ahead, and he came in over the comms. One and two, you're with me. Three and four, stay here. Ensure the Kenyan is properly stored. Scouts, begin plotting the route to our first destination. I'll be back shortly. The squad split, marching in loose formation into the village. Three and four kept helping the locals unload Kenyon from their trailers. I noticed Murray on his radio, punching in buttons and talking to someone. He always moved his head when he spoke, bounced it ever so subtle along with the words. 
I dropped to my knee and circled up the scouts. Mondi was beside me. I looked towards the center of the village. The speeders moving slow, the LT up ahead. And I started drawing a map of the area, just a bullshit sketch meant to distract while I asked anyone if they had any clue what was going on. No, but I got a bad feeling about this. Same here. Everyone got a full clip? I took the initiative and divided us into our squads, ordered everyone to flip the headsets over to our encrypted channel. We had a full hand, four teams, told Arkham and Mondi to take point and their squad freshies to be spotters in support. Squad one was tougher. They had two relatively new scouts. The more senior was a Keshian male named Cole Sonder. He came in with Blith from the 22nd company. They were even in the same platoon, the 86th. Difference was, he was an actual scout at Domju. Excellent shot, and as fit as you could hope for. Moved quiet to real quiet. The only slight issue I had with him was how hesitant he was to go on offense. He shied away from initiative, just too cautious for me. For the way I was trained, Sergeant Hefspar was always big on taking the shot. You see it, you take it. The Empire doesn't step back, troopers. Didn't matter. I was doling out the orders, assessed what I had, and gave him the lead. When we go under, two and four will break east to the tree cover. One and three break west and move up. Two's gonna stay lower and head further north. I cut her off. I wanted to go in further north. Hit up that rocky overhang Puenda spotted. Even if nothing actually happened, I wanted to hit up that ridge. The view looked wild. Maybe take a few pictures. Memories, you know? You wanna run yourself like a dog? Go ahead. We were eyeing the edge of the jungle noting where it'd be easiest to break in, talking it over with our spotters, pointing out evidence of hunting trails. I was adjusting the power usage in my scope when one of the lardies behind us fired up its engines and got airborne, really laid into it, went up quick, engines burning hot. Shifted south when it got up 20 meters or so and opened its bay doors then rolled to the side, dumping its load of Kenyan. Execute Patton Red Clover. Move, troopers, move. Get to cover. Sergeants Melnow and Gentala were acting like this was expected, that they knew this was coming. I ran on the training manual and just motioned for the scouts to move out. We broke. No words, just hustle. Our packs still piled with the rest near where we'd landed. We could come back for those later. Most of our clips were stuffed into the pouches along our webbing anyways. For now, we just needed to get into our firing positions and figure out what the hell was going on. While three and four were making for cover, the second lardy spooled up its engines to take off. Only got five meters up, was listing to the side, making ready to drop its load when it exploded. I didn't see it, but turned back to look. The shrapnel was coming, so I dropped and hit the deck. Heard it ripping through the broken shrubs around me. Then heard a scream from behind. Something must have hit one of the mutters. I didn't have a chance to see. They had their jobs, I had mine. 
I was pushing myself to my feet when I heard the faint din of blaster fire coming from the center of town. Sporadic, but it was picking up. Then I broke into the jungle. It was so thick it nearly blocked the sound completely. Quenda was waiting for me, tucked low, looking out into the green. I passed by, rifle ahead of me. We were under the water now. Mondi and her spotter up ahead. I faded out further to the right, deeper into the jungle, getting in position for that hike up the hill. I was gonna take that ledge, take ownership of the entire position. The blaster fire was still eking through the leaves. Hushed, but you could hear it. Came in spurts, layered. The barely audible whisper of screams and bellowed commands. We kept moving, real quiet, steady pace, no chatter. The air stunk under there. Every breath took in a laundry list of scents. A sweet mix of rot and heat. Your eyes bouncing around, registering everything and nothing. A million shades of green. You'd hear something, something apart from the chaos in the valley below. Drop. Scan. I looked back at Quenda, see if she caught anything. Quick shake of the head, then we move on. We reached a break in the tree cover. Some heavy shrubs breaking apart the boulders and dirt. Probably a rock slide from a couple years back. Tall grasses. You could see clear across the valley. Caught the flash of blaster bolts ripping through the air from the opposite ridge. The scouts from one and three found their hides. Took a look down. The fighting in the village was heavier than I expected. A lot heavier. We were needed. I made the call. Fuck the ledge. We take a spot here. Another Sesher ambush? How deadly will this one be? Are the freelance mining colonies on Sestin 4 shifting allegiance? That's next time on Episode 20, Just a Little Higher. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.